0: Of the good work that God is doing through the church. Jesus had to remind his disciples in the Gospels three separate times I'm going to Jerusalem to be killed and then raised on the third day. And it was after his resurrection that they got it. Some interesting things from that first paragraph. You see, none of the rest dare join them. There's discussion as who is this rest? Are these Christians? I doubt it because the Christians were gathered together. It's probably non Christians in three separate verses you see in the New Testament. This idea of the rest, it's translated others. You see it in Luke 8.10. You see it in Luke 8.10 that one said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for the others they are in parables. And so he, these others are non-believers. You see it again in First Thessalonians uh, 4.13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep, But they, that you may not grieve as others do. That is, when we do funerals, we don't grieve as those who don't believe in the Lord Jesus. We grieve, but not as others who are non-Christians. And in 5.6, so then let us not sleep as others do. And so that is the same word in verse 13 of, of chapter 5, that none of the rest, none of the rest of the unbelievers dared join them. But in the midst of this 14, more than ever, people were being added to the church. Christianity continued to grow. And Christianity, you see, holds, upholds the honor of men and women since its beginnings. Luke did not have to include that, but he did for a specific purpose. And his is the gospel, if you go back to the gospel of Luke, where he informs, of, informs us of many things that women did in the ministry of Jesus. And so here, both multitudes of men and women join the church And you see there, they were doing many signs and wonders. They were many, they were regular, they were public, people saw them. And I would go on to say that they were special. Why were they special? Because the work that Jesus began to do, the world needed to know that God is still working and He's still building His church. And so what you saw there is you see that these apostles were gifted with special gifts to do signs and wonders so that the world would know that this Jesus whom had ascended and left in the apostles' hands to carry out the ministry on earth were connected to Christ. There was a similar sum- summary in Matthew 4, 23 and 25. It says this. I'll need to turn there because my eyes are bad can't read back that far. Matthew 4, 23 through 25. And he went out throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all who were sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and for our from beyond the Jordan. And so you see a connection between Jesus' work on earth and the apostles' ministry on earth. That was then. And so what is always true? Here's what is always true. God's people have always has always built God's kingdom by God's power. We could go back to Moses. And he built God's kingdom back there according to his great power. And he gave us the law. We see it in the Judges. The great power. We see it in the kings, the great power. We see it in men. We see it in women. We see it in the young, Esther. We see it in the old, in Caleb. God's people have always built God's kingdom by God's power. And so how does that apply today? The now. The church is still being built. The church is still being built as God works by the power of the Spirit through the local church. It's still being built today. We are building this kingdom. And the power that the Lord has given us in the Holy Spirit is still being built. However, it is not as was back then. The foundation has been laid. And when you lay the foundation, if it's the right foundation, you only lay it once. And so if you see the next slide, now the church is being built as God by, as God works by the power of the Spirit in the local church. You see in Ephesians 2 in the next slide. You see, in Ephesians 2, the foundation has been laid. We don't need to lay the foundation again. Paul says it like this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. He is making a designation between you, Ephesians, and them, the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so the foundation has been laid. The formation continues through us. And so when you preach through the book of Acts, the question always arises. You'll see it on the next side. You'll see the two questions that always arise. Are miracles for today? The simple answer to that is yes, absolutely nobody's putting God in a box. But if so, why don't we see the experience of miracles that the apostles were capable of? I am 40 wonderful. I've been doing this for 17 years. And I'm going to choose to show you a video of someone who's been doing it twice as long, who's 70. Because there are certain things, if I say them, there's like, yeah, you've just not been around long enough. If he says them, I think, and I think he's right. We'll hear what Dr. Piper has to say about that question. John, why don't we experience the
1: miracles that the apostles were capable of? Well, some people do. Um, the assumption is, why don't we see it? I guess regularly, as often as we'd like, or as often as they did, and that's true. I think that's true. I think that's true globally. But the reason I say, boy, I don't want to go there right away, because I would guess that around the world, in God's total working, especially in <coughs> excuse me, especially in cutting edge mission. Uh, settings, more amazing supernatural things are happening than we realize. So that's my first qualification. Um, I I think the more biblical theological answer is when uh, Jesus Christ came into the world, uh, he was the Son of God and he was able to do things that were supposed to distinctively point to his deity. So there was a, an un- amazing power in Jesus who never failed. He spoke, and it happened. He didn't fumble around with long prayers. He just said, get up, and they got up. Nobody ever refused to get up when he said, get up. When he spoke to the dead, rise, they rose. So Jesus was unique. And then around him was a cluster of of, of a Apostles and the 70, uh, and then a few more. And this, this intense breaking in of the kingdom and showing itself with these stunning, uh, infallible miracles was shared by these men. But I don't think in quite the same way that, that he had it. And then as you move out from there, I think it, it lessens. And, and I, don't, I don't think we should be f- faulted entirely for this. That uh, since we don't see people healed, when they walk through our shadow on the street, we should feel like failures. Like if I really had faith, then they could touch my handkerchief and they could um, walk through my shadow and they would healed. I don't think we should feel like a failure because I don't think God has ordained that the same intensity and clustering of power for supernatural intervention was intended to be normative for the whole church. It can break out anytime he pleases in order to demonstrate his power, and so revival has often brought that kind of demonstration, but I think already you see in the New Testament of evidences that on the periphery out here it's beginning to be less. Take a little wine for your stomach, Timothy, because uh, you've got this stomach problem. Instead of saying, bang, I've got enough faith, I'm healing Timothy. Well, why, why not? And Paul himself, I think, suffering many kinds of things that weren't miraculously healed. When he was lacerated on his back or stoned they didn't get over him and just pray and bang, all the scars went away and all the infection went away. He, he dealt with the same things we did. So my, my answer is they are happening today around the world in some measure. They can happen more when God is pleased to pour out his spirit. And the reason it's not as normative now as it was in the apostles is because he meant to signify this point in history, this incarnation, this authoritative band of apostles are unique.
0: That's my answer, and I'm sticking to it. And so you see the summary that God was doing something unique through those men that He may not be doing today. And so we move on to the next section. Then the church was being persecuted by the world as that gospel message was proclaimed. But the high priest rose up, verse 17, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and notice this, filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night... An angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. God can open doors that the world closes so that his people can speak the gospel. Now when the high priest came and those who were with them, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison. So they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors as if <clears throat> we didn't mess up. Uh, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, look. The men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And the captain and the officers went and brought them, not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Here are jealous men. Here are perplexed men. Here are fearful men. And when they had brought them in, they sat before the council and the high priest and questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in his name. Yet you you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the Apostle answered, We must obey God rather than men. Unless I am convinced by Scripture and plain reason, I cannot and I will not recant. Long before Luther took his stand, Peter does it here. He goes on to say, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, hanging on him. Hanging him on a tree, God exalted him at his right hand as the leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness to sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And we see the Trinity at work, God working in his Son, and the Spirit enabling the witness. And so that was then, always, we see that God's people have always been persecuted. By the world, as God's word is proclaimed. Always. We could go back in the Old Testament. And when Nehemiah is rebuilding, you see someone come and try to distract him. He's being persecuted. He says, and they say, Nehemiah, uh, why don't you come down and talk to us? And he says, I cannot come down. I am doing a great work. And then they say, well, the, the king needs to see you. And he says, oh, you're just making this up in your own mind. Constantly, over and over and over, God's people are persecuted when they bring forth God's Word. What is interesting to me, though, and in light of the video that we just saw, God doesn't always do great things to open doors so people can proclaim the gospel. Look at 2 Timothy 2, 8 and 9. 2 Timothy 2, 8 and 9. This is what he says. This is Paul Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached by my gospel, for which I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Notice, sometimes God chooses not to open the doors, but he chooses to have the one in the prison proclaim the gospel. The word of God is never chained, though. And it begs the question, why didn't God miraculously open the door for Paul? I think it fits with what Dr. Piper said. It's the same reason Paul didn't go and heal Timothy. Take a little wine for your stomach. God was choosing to work in a different way. And so that was then. This is always how it is. And what is it for us today? The church is still being persecuted by the world as the gospel goes forth. Go on the Internet. Read the voice of martyrs. Read the persecuted church. God is still opening doors. And we must still obey the witness, to co- the, the command to witness. And so we enter into the second to last section. Then the church was being defended by the most unlikely of people, and so we have this this great work going on, this opposition to the great word work. But then something interesting happens. Verse thirty three: When they heard this, they were enraged. And wanted to kill them. More on that in a minute. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. Why don't you guys go get a coffee? And so he brings his buddies in and he says to them, Men of Israel, take care of what you're about to do with these men. And then he gives it exhibit A and exhibit B. For before these days... Thudas rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him, and he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. There was apparently one who claimed to be this great person, and he faded off into history. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. And so Gamaliel's building his case. There have been people who've come up who have claimed to be somebody, but we don't even hear about them anymore. And so he makes a conclusion, verse 38. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men. This is a Pharisee, well-respected, saying, stay away from the apostles and let them alone. For if this is the plan or if this undertaking is a man, it will fail. Man's plans fail if they're done in the flesh and done for human glory. But, verse 39, if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. And so when God's plans are done by God's power for God's glory, they do not fail. And it hasn't failed for 2,014 years really a little less than that. Point. So they took his advice. And this is uh, always one of those intriguing texts. And when they called the apostles, they beat them. Hey, guys, would you guys come back in the room real quick? And they beat them and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now, I want to give you just a little sermon within a sermon because it takes one to know one. But I started following the line of these Pharisees and what it led to, and I was personally convicted, so I thought I'd share it with you today. A little sermon within a sermon. You'll see it on the next slide. Here's the point. Anger begins with annoyance and ends in violence. Jesus said something of it in the Sermon on the Mount, but if you were to trace these leaders from the first time they were annoyed for one, they are jealous They become perplexed in 5.24 and afraid in 5.26. And then in 5.33, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. There is your biblical illustration of where your anger and annoyance can take you. That's just a sermon within a sermon. That's a bonus. That's for you to chew on. What has always been the case? If then the church was being persecuted, and then defended by unlikely people. God's people have always been defended by the most unlikely people. Think back in the book of Jonah. The king of Nineveh was actually preaching the gospel that Jonah failed to preach. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, after his years of being humbled like an animal, comes back and praises the name of God. Ahasuerus, after a sleepless night, uh, goes in and reads the record books and actually vindicates Mordecai. You've seen the veggie tales. And Darius, moved by God, wrote a census for the people to go back to the land, not just to go back, but to go well-equipped. And so always have God's people been defended by the most unlikely people. And you know what? Now, the church is still being defended by the most unlikely people, believe it or not. I have but two, if you see the next slide, I have but two short videos. But Bill Maher, who doesn't like Jesus at all, and Penn Gillette, who doesn't like Jesus at all. In fact, he has a a website called The Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Or If it's not his website, he's on it. These are two men who do not love Jesus. But here are their words about Christianity.
2: I think... uh, liberals should stop booing me for pointing out that Islam is not like other religions. That is a unique threat, and that yeah, there but, is is it, it,
1: but it's not Islam
2: you're against. I read Dean on TV the other day, uh, and he said something uh, along the order of he said uh, the people in ISIS are. I uh, said I'm about as uh, Islamic as they are you know, distancing the vast numbers of Islamic people around the world from... That's just not true. It is true. It is not true, Charlie. There is a connecting tissue between... Uh, uh,
1: You mean, you know, behind every every Muslim is a future member of some radical... Let me finish. I thought I was doing that.
2: There are illiberal beliefs that are held by vast numbers of Muslim people that I don't think... Vast
1: number of Christians, too.
2: No, no, that's not true. Not true. Vast numbers of Christians do not believe that if you leave the Christian religion, you should be killed for it vast numbers of christians do not treat women as second-class citizens vast numbers of christians i agree with that do not believe that if you draw a picture of jesus christ you should get killed for it Um,
3: and i've always said you know that i i don't respect people who don't proselytize i don't respect that at all if you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever and you think that uh well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always said, you know, that I I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that.
0: You wouldn't think Bill and Penn would, would say that, but they did. How much do we have to hate someone not to go and do what these men in Acts 5 were doing? proclaiming the good news with great power, knowing they would be persecuted. And so it comes to the end of that chapter in verse 41 and 42. Then the church was a witness to the world through bold, joyful sufferers. Then they left the presence of the council, having been beaten, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did Not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. There was total commitment every day, verse 42, in the temple and in homes, everywhere, both formally and informally, all the time, they did not cease to exalt Jesus. Amen? It was a way of life. That was then what is always true. God's people have always always witness to the world as bold, joyful sufferers. Read the Psalms. You see David in his boldness. Look at Daniel 3. Three of my favorite verses in Scripture. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you on this matter. Will you guys bow down to my big statue? We have no need to answer you on this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. He's able. Our God is able to deliver. And look what they say, and he will deliver us. He is not able, but ultimately, if not immediately, he will deliver us out of your hand, O King. But if not, and those are my favorite three words of that. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. But if not, those three verses should be memorized by every student, Christian student, to take with them to every campus that they go on to. If not, I will not bow. Always. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Peter would go on to say, and you don't need to go there, but Peter would go on to say, just make sure it's falsely on his account. Don't give people reason. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And Peter says in his first letter, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation. Of your souls. God's people have always found joy, even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of all that's going on. God's people have found joy. Not a a flippant happiness, but a deep joy. Much like Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame so what does that mean for us today? Now the church is still a witness to the world through bold, joyful sufferers. That is you and I. And when we stand up biblically, boldly, courageously, within following the, the as Romans 13 would say, as following the rules of the age, God is honored and we are joyful. And so... What is our work in progress? What is our, our whip for this week? Last week, I forgot to give it to you, so I'll give it to you this week. You'll see it on the next slide. Last week, we talked about money. This week, we talked about persecution. Welcome to Eagle Bible Church. Cultivate a generous heart as you eradicate its greedy roots. That We should be the most generous of all people. And today, remember the big picture of Scripture. What happened then, what happens for all time, what happens now. As you and I resolve, much as this is preparatory. Maybe there are some of you that you're applying this today, you're going to work tomorrow, and you're thanking God that you had a sermon to say, I can be joyful in the midst of persecution. For most of us, it's preparatory. And so we need to remember the big picture of Scripture as we resolve right now to rejoice in seasons of suffering. When they come, not if, but when they come, are we resolved right now We've talked about this before. She's ready. Should I go to jail? And you, if you preach, or you up here, are you ready? And we'll, we'll ask her when she gets back from Calvary. Are they ready to say, you know what? He didn't just look for this, but he's he's going to jail for God's good purpose. I'm not going to jail. I'm just saying if the policemen are right there and they're saying the next time you preach on said message, that is a hate crime, and I'm in the flow, we're ready. You gotta be that bold, you gotta be that brave. Now, as soon as the cuffs go on, I'm in prayer like I know what praying without ceasing means right then. Right? Lord help me. Oh boy, here we go. But we have to resolve now. If we don't resolve now, we won't stand then. Father. Give us the power to stand should that time come. Give us the power that was in Peter that is in us now by the presence of the Holy Spirit to speak boldly your truth should the time come. And Father, until then, I pray that we would go tomorrow worshiping you, a God who deserves all, all of us, That every day, in every place, with all that we are, we would speak the truth of the kingdom. That the world would see us and see something a bit different. They would see your power working in us for your glory as we honor Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen.